The Raptors are taking their talents to South Beach. Well, sort of. This is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms as well as midtownradio.ca, weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzik and Evan Brown. Welcome to episode 31 of the Other Eyes Podcast. It's hot out of the oven. The Raptors are set to play their season, the 2020-2021 season, in Tampa, Florida. Is this a good choice for the Raptors? It really was clearly uh, not a lot of options for the Raptors. And kind of what were the other possible cities that were, as, as like what you thought could be possibilities for them to play in? Because I know there was possibilities of Louisville, Kentucky as an, as an early possibility. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts there? Honestly, I think I'm okay. I think it's a good choice for the Raptors because it was their only choice. Uh, I think there was no way they were playing in Toronto at like, especially with the with the state of cases right now in Canada and it's climbing. We're in that second wave period. There was no way they were ever playing games, especially going cross border. There was no way the government was allowing that, which sucks, but it's what had to be done. And I mean, there was talks about other places, but I mean, I don't love the decision to go to Tampa just because Florida right now isn't much better, but it made sense for like positioning and like map wise to still stay in the East, uh, East division, I guess. Yes. Yes. Uh, no Atlantic Atlantic. Sorry. Messing up that from MLB. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a good choice. I mean, frankly, it was the only choice. Uh, there wasn't a lot of other cities that they could have really gone to. I mean, like you said, Louisville was talked about before, but a lot of the Raptors players saw that as, um, not an option based off of a lot of uh, just based out of respect for I think it was Brianna Taylor who passed away near near Louisville so they were like no we don't want to go there uh, so I mean it was the only option I don't love the fact that they're playing in Tampa but I'm just glad they have a home now and they can kind of focus on uh, I mean they already had the draft but they can focus on just free agency and worrying about getting their players signed because that should have been the real focus of the entire offseason they shouldn't have had to deal with this whole trying to find a home thing like other teams it was it probably was very hard for them to even get ready for the draft because you have to figure out okay not only do you have to figure out how you're going to prepare and how you're going to like pit not uh, like pitch to these players like okay why you why we should uh, draft you or like why you should come here but you also have to go okay we have to figure out where we're actually going to play next season to figure out where we can like pitch this idea of why they should enjoy playing. Like it was so, it was so hard for the Raptors management. Kudos to them for actually getting this done and still doing a decent job at the draft and getting ready for free agency. But I think it was, it, it was a good choice just because it was the only choice. And I don't think there was anywhere they possibly could have gone just because I don't think the Canadian government was letting them stay home. And I don't know where else they could have really fit in. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the reasons that I was hearing from um, some people talking, so like uh, or before this is the other day, they were saying apparently a lot of the Raptors players wanted to play in Tampa, Florida. Like it was kind of like their choice is because they were like, it seemed to be like a popular choice, you know, nice weather um, close to Miami, I guess, you know, overall I, as well. Like there probably wasn't a lot of other options available because when you think about it, a lot of other cities already have like teams in there with the arenas, right. With like dedicated arenas. So um, with this extra arena that they have, I forget what the name of it. It's like Ailman Arena. Or it's like it's sort of the no Anyways, regardless, uh, they, they, they do have a home. It's great. It's kudos to Bobby Webster, Saeed Jury, the whole Raptors organization, mostly to finding the home. Because as well, like you said as well, when you're in the middle of a pandemic, you've got a draft coming up. You've got free agents coming up. You've got a lot of, you've got a lot of things in your plate. 
it's the last thing that you want to worry about is figuring out where are we going to play. And I don't want to say, you know, it's part of the NBA's responsibility, but I think that is part of the, like, would you agree that maybe the NBA should have, like, they probably, they probably did have a helping hand in helping the Raptors um, pick a city or not, but do you think they should have had maybe like the MLB, like, no, no, MLB, sorry, NBA, NBA would have had a, uh, a more helping hand in them picking a city? Like, do you think the NBA would be like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you have a lot on your plate. Let us take care of it, you know, because the NBA has also got a lot to worry about as well. But I don't know, I feel like they, they handled it well, but like, what are your thoughts there? I think that, I think the NBA should have helped them out a little bit more. I think uh, uh, they should have, I mean, they could have easily taken all of it off the Raptors and said, we'll figure out where you want to go home. We'll still get your in- input from you, but we'll kind of figure it out. So you don't have to type, kind of thing. But it was also tough for the NBA because they're in a spot where they're still trying to figure out details for the season and they're still, tr- uh, well, they had to figure out the entire season and then they had to figure out the finer details. So it was, it was tough for all parties involved. It was not a good situation for anybody to be in. Uh, but I think they, they got it done. That's all that matters. They have a home city to play in. They have a plan for when the season does uh, uh, restart. I think that's all we can be happy for as Raptors fans. And I think that's all the NBA is happy for that. It finally got done. And now they can focus on basketball because they shouldn't have to worry about all the extra extremities like that. Definitely. All right, moving on over into our second topic of hot out of the oven. Taysom Hill was named the starter over Jameis Winston as Drew Brees suffered a brutal injury uh, last week against the game against San Francisco. It was just an absolute uh, terrible injury. Tough for the Saints. You know, huge loss, really, because uh, they did really look like solid contenders in the NFC and were really taking it possibly as division winners over Tampa. But that's going to be different. The question is, should Jameis have gotten the start over uh, Taysom Hill? Because obviously Taysom Hill not the conventional quarterback. He's more of a jack of all trades, you know, jackknife of in the football, you know, he can run the ball, catch the ball, throw the ball decently well. But when you got a guy like Jameis Winston, who hasn't had the best track record, you know, especially his season last year, but I still think that he should have gotten the start over uh, Taysom Hill. What are your thoughts on that? See, in my mind, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think he should have gotten the start. I don't think Jameis should have gotten the start because I mean, if you look at the saints, right, they're playing the, uh, they're playing the Falcons coming up, right? So it's not the strongest opponent. You you still need wins, obviously, but they're not this. It's not the strongest opponent in the world. It's not like you're going up against the nine and zero Steelers or something like that. So you can kind of take it off a bit, not playing your top guy. And I mean, you have to get Taysom Hill some playing time at some point. You're going to have to switch between these two guys down the stretch because Drew B, Drew Brees is going to be out, and he's going to be out for a while. That was a brutal injury, and it was to his uh, rib cage and lung area, like. To be quite honest with you, I think that's going to be it for Drew Brees' career, not going to lie, because of how serious that injury is and how tough that can be because you rely so much as an athlete on your breathing, right? You need you need strong lung uh, strong lungs to actually be able to play as hard as you can. And I mean, to be fair, quarterbacks like Drew Brees, who are pass first, don't have to expend as much energy energy as per se a running back would. But that still is all that physical activity, being on your feet, quick decision, quick movement. That That's going to be harder. And especially with Drew Brees, who is, has so many miles on him, so many hard miles on him, it's going to be tough for him to come back out of this and still let, uh, like, still play 
at the level he is used to playing at, let alone playing at all. Like, it's going to be tough for Drew It's going to be a long recovery period. And, I mean, they say out for weeks, but I think that's just to kind of keep things optimistic. I don't think he's going to be back this season. And I think this might be the last we've seen of Drew Brees, to be quite honest with you, just because I think it's like – like that type of injury is tough. And just, yeah, it, I don't think – Especially with Drew Brees' age, like I don't, I don't know if he's going to be returning. But as far as the matter of Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill, I think you give Taysom Hill the Taysom Hill the chance. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Jameis Winston, uh, but I think you got to get one of them playing time somewhere. And I think, honestly, I mean, you play the Falcons two weeks from now if you really want. You can start Jameis then. Uh, I think Taysom Hill was the right move for now to see what you got. Right, you gotta. You got to explore all options in emergency situations. And I mean, the saints need wins if they want to keep it up and, uh, and keep pace with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think Taysom Hill is just an experimental pick. I think it'll work for a week and then they'll kind of go from there as figuring out who is kind of going to be the starter going forward. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Obviously, you know, Taysom Hill knows the offense very well. He's been in the system for a number of years and I think that's advantage that, and as well, an advantage that Taysom Hill kind of has over Jameis is that Taysom Hill kind of is that jack of all trades. So the defenses are going to have a tough time figuring out if he's going to pass, run, what kind of offense that they're going to see from uh, Sean Payton with Taysom Hill, which is going to cause a lot of problems because I believe, like I'm looking at their schedule looking up, they've got, they play the Falcons this week, which isn't notably a great team. Then they've got the Broncos, the Falcons again the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Vikings, and the, and the Panthers then. So looking down the line, on a short-term, Taysom Hill might be the the, the right choice because Jameis Wittens as well last year did not have a great season. You know, there is a, there's a reason why, you know, he was even like, you know, consider, I'm pretty sure he's probably considered the third string at this point, actually, considering the fact that Taysom Hill is getting the start, that he's the third string. And like, it just doesn't really help Jameis's case with having those interceptions last year and having a really unsuccessful season with Tampa Bay. But I think that when you look at it down the line, I think that I can see that Taysom Hill could be a good temporary fix right now. But if you look at maybe going down the line, if the saints are able to keep their season alive, you know, get a couple wins here and there, they might lose one or two games, um, possibly three, like it could be down the line. They've got some tougher games later on. You, you got the chiefs, you've got the Vikings and the Panthers who, those three games I think are going to be really key for the Saints to keeping their season alive. You probably won't beat the Chiefs if Drew Brees ain't like I, like Drew Brees is out, which obviously and even with Drew Brees in, the Chiefs are probably going to win. They're the better team. But regardless, now with Drew Brees out, it's most likely going to be guaranteed a loss. With the Vikings as well, going to be close. But I think that it's really close. I still think that Jameis should have got the start. Like as much as you know, he he gets a lot of criticism, and he isn't really you know might not be the best option for now. But overall, I think. You need to get him playing time. You need to get him into – because going down the line, if they, let's say, they get into the playoffs, he's – like, Taysom Hill is not the guy that you can rely on to throw for, like, you know, 300 yards and, you know, two touchdowns and win you a game with his – you know, he has a great arm, but his, his actual throwing ability we haven't, saw, we haven't seen a lot of throwing ability. We've mostly seen running and pass – running and catching from uh, Taysom Hill. But arguments can be made on both sides. They're both equally, it's weird because it's like they're both equally skilled when you think about it. And either one would have been the right choice. But I still think that Jameis uh, should have been over the start. But I, I do what, think that's, yeah, so go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. 
I was just going to say one quick thing that I didn't realize personally is that uh, Taysom Hill is actually older than Jameis Winston. I thought it was the other way around. Hill is 30 years old and Winston is what? 26, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He's a fairly but... young guy. He's only been in the league for five years now, four or four yeah, years. Yeah. He was, I didn't, he was drafted in 2015. I didn't yeah. that. So, I mean, I, I mean, it might be smarter in that case to start Jameis just because he is younger and has more potential. But to be quite honest, I think you have to start each of them in the next few weeks just to kind of get yeah. a feel. And I think Taysom Hill just first man up. I think that's fine. I think I think I'm still sticking with Taysom Hill getting the start, but Jameis Winston would be more of a future option. I didn't realize that he was actually younger than Taysom yeah, Hill. Definitely. Alrighty, that uh, wraps up our hot out of the oven segment for today's episode. Regarding uh, recapping the Raptors setting to play in their season in Tampa, Florida, as well as Taysom Hill being named the starter over Jameis Winston. Moving on over into our week 11, not week 10, week 11 preview. Or no, is it? Yeah, it's week 11. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, it's week 11. That was my bad. Yeah. Uh, week 11. Uh, scratch that reverse. Um, we got the first game, Titans and Ravens. Now, obviously, both teams have kind of been struggling over the past few weeks because they both started undefeated, and then they both suffered their first losses against, well, against different teams, but uh, uh, but the Titans, I forget who they lost. I think they lost to the Bills, I'm pretty sure. Bills was their loss for the first loss for the Titans, and the Ravens lost to the Steelers was their first loss. Um, so whose rushing tack can do more damage? Because on the one side, you got... Derrick Henry, you know, who's a grown man who can run down everyone. And the other side, you got Lamar Jackson and you got, I, you got some other great, I believe, I think Mark Renger might be still injured. He might be playing. You got Gus Edwards as well. Still a decent rushing attack with that, but who's rushing attack can do more damage on the field and really win that game. Cause it's going to come down to that rushing attack. I think it's going to really be in the defense as well, but really the rushing attack who's rushing attack can do more damage against the other team's defense. I'm honestly going to go with the Ravens rushing attack over the Titans rushing attack, just because, I mean, if you look at it, the Titans, I mean, Derrick Henry, an incredible player. Don't get me wrong. Derrick Henry is an incredible player. I love what, I mean, I like what he's doing for the Titans. Personally, I don't think the Titans are as good as their record suggests sometimes, but I think Derrick Henry is an outstanding player. There's no question about that. And, but I think with Lamar Jackson, I, he is a beast when it comes to running the ball as a quarterback. And one of the things that I think gives the quarterback an advantage when it comes to rushing and having uh, such a mobile quarterback is that you can catch teams more by surprise. In rushing attacks where you just hand the ball off to the running back, teams have a much easier chance of stopping that by just clogging up the middle. And it's the good running backs that can avoid that, obviously, but still allows teams more time to prepare for uh, those rush uh, attacks. Whereas with quarterback sneaks and Lamar Jackson's insane ability to run that that could be more as a surprise play and that surprise factor is really crucial and I think that's why he is so good at getting that quick step getting that first step and just going and surprising teams is he just they don't expect it and I think that's really what's going to push the rushing attack over the edge and I think honestly I think the Ravens are going to win this game and not only is it going to be that but I think the Ravens defense is really going to step up and I think just that element of surprise and that uh, keeping the Titans on their feet is going to make the Ravens um, keep their play fast, keep it uh, upbeat. And I think they're going to really take this game. Uh, yeah. 
I would agree with you. I think that really when you look at it, like you made a great point with Derrick Henry. Yeah, he's a big guy, but you can clog up the line. There's there's methods that you can do to stop the run if they're just going to hand off the ball because Ryan Tannehill isn't that guy. Like they've used their passing attack in the in the in games before, but they heavily rely on the rush to win them games. And when you heavily rely on the rush to win them games, win games, and you and the other team can stop that, that forces Ryan Taylor, in, Ryan Taylor into passing situations, which results in turnovers, which results in the Ravens winning the game. And as well with Lamar Jackson as well, he plays the quarterback position. They can run a lot of, they can, there can be a lot of design QB runs, a lot of run pass options, a lot of uh, have like uh, toss options, like run, running back options, all that different things, similar to Kyler Murray. And that's what makes them so deadly is the fact that they're so mobile and so agile as quarterbacks. You know, a, a lot of people, the joke was like, obviously for the longest time that Lamar Jackson is a running back, which I think could still be said because his passing game isn't that strong. And I'm not saying he's still, he's still a quarterback. He's still a quarterback. I'm not, I'm not denying that, but um, don't, don't, you know, Lamar Jackson fans, they'll come after me. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but I think that, <laughs> I think that, uh, Lamar Jackson does really have that rushing advantage actually over Derrick Henry and the fact that he's more, he's more agile. Like Derrick Henry is a big guy to tackle. Yes. That's, you know, he's going to be tough to tackle for the Ravens, but if you look at what they've done to other teams, rushing attacks, they were able to shut him down. And I think it's going to be crucial for the Ravens to shut down the rushing deck of Derrick Henry. I think they can do, they can not only shut them down, but they're going to have more yards per yards uh, on Sunday with the uh, Ravens rushing deck. I think the, um, I, I got the Ravens winning this one. It's probably, it could be a close game because the Ravens did lose to the Patriots. They put up only 17 points. Uh, obviously there was that tough last drive where just, it started pouring rain magically somehow. Bill no, no Belichick, one, Bill Belichick somehow controlled the weather. Ray, controlled the weather. That's the, that's a conspiracy. That's the next conspiracy coming out in New England. It's what it's Weathergate as the <laughs> Weathergate is. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, yeah. Um, I think this is a big game for Lamar because he struggled the past few, the past few weeks. And really, I don't think he's going to get into MVP form, but he's got to get close to it if they want to have a chance at being successful going down the seat. Because when you look at that AFC, it's very competitive. You got the Bills at seven and three. You've got the Chargers, or not the Chargers, the Chiefs at eight and one, or eight and one going to be probably nine and one. And then you've got the Steelers who are nine and zero. Oh. So those are the teams that you got to beat. Now you've lost to team those teams already, or you lost. Uh, the bill or the, sorry, the Steelers earlier this year, and you play them later again as well, which they're probably going to be 10 and 0, like, you know, as it, as it stands. So I think this is a big game for Lamar to step up and to prove that he can be the guy to lead the Ravens to the supposed promised land or the supposed winning, you know, error as they are used to, because this is a big game for them if they want to have a chance at uh, staying close to the, like, staying close to the Steelers, but just staying close to that uh, AFC playoff race for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on into our second game, we've got the Rams and the Buccaneers. Uh, again, you know, two decently good teams who have had their ups and downs. You know, the Rams coming off a big win uh, on the road against uh, the against the Seahawks. You know, big. It was a great defensive game. The Seah- the really the Rams dominated the Seahawks defensively and off. Like they didn't score a lot of offensive points. You know, they put up twenty four but they really shut down Russell Wilson, which is a tough thing to do because they're used to scoring 34 points a game. That was like the only game other than last night as well, where they've, they've scored uh, under 34 points under than the game against the Cardinals just re- recently uh, this past Thursday. So I think that's really crucial. And it's well, when you're playing the Buccaneers in a high, you know, are supposed to be high 
oriented offense, you know, with like Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, you know, you look at those names and it's very high octane offense. So I think if, I think it's really going to be interesting to see, uh, but the question I have for you is can Brady, can Brady kind of ride the momentum from last week's game where he kind of had a bounce back game where he throw three touchdowns, did really well going into this game at home. It's a Monday night primetime game against the Rams. I mean, he's going to need to have a big game in it because I think the Rams, the Rams are an underratedly decent team. And I mean, they, they beat Seattle last week. Their defense is very strong. And I think um, he's going to need to be good in this game because the Rams, frankly, are going to want it more. The Rams need this win. It is huge for them to stay with Seattle in their division. And I mean, the Buccaneers honestly are probably thinking of this as, okay, I mean, we can win this, yes, and really pull even with the Saints. But come on, Drew Brees is injured now, so we have a decent chance. Like Brady, but that's not like – what I'm saying is that's not the mentality you have to go into it with, saying that, oh, Bre- uh, Brees is injured, we can like just take it easy and still win the division. No, you're still going to win some games here. The Saints are still a very good team, even without Drew Brees. And I think uh, the Buccaneers are going to need this one if they really want to keep pace with – uh, the Saints, even though the Saints have lost their uh, one of their best players. But I think Brady's going to need to ride the momentum, uh, play like we have seen Brady play over the past X amount of years. Uh, and I think you need to, and as far as the like, Rams side of the ball, they, they're going to want this one bad. You have to, if you're the Buccaneers, you have to come out ready to play. You got to come out uh, with an, a chip on your shoulder and you got to be ready to take everything the Rams can throw at you because the Rams are going to throw everything at you. They are going to charge in this game. You need to be ready for it. You need to, uh, you need to fight back against it. And you really need, if you're the Buccaneers, you got to stand your ground and win this game against the Rams. So as far as the Rams go, you just got to put as much pressure, uh, pressure on Brady and the offense as you can. Brady has shown signs of the season of not only age, but also just weakness. We've seen him be shut down multiple times this season which we haven't seen much in the past. And I think if the Rams can put enough pressure on Brady and really bring out that in their offense, then I think the Rams have a really good chance of winning this game. As for who's winning overall, honestly, I think it's just going to come down to who wants it more. I'm going for the Rams in this game. I think uh, I think the Rams are just going to come out with a, a chip on their shoulder, a lot of passion, a lot of fire, and they're going to take this one because they have a lot more to play for right now than the Buccaneers, and they're going to want the win more than I think the Buccaneers and Tom Brady will. It's interesting because, like, obviously, you know, that Monday night game when uh, he, he really just, you know, did not do well against a really solid uh, Saints team, you know, and then last week as well, you know, yeah, they, you know, he three touchdowns, much better game, uh, really, you know, ride the momentum, but it's going to be tough because, you know, you're going against a really tough uh, Rams defense and Aaron Donald, who's going to be rushing. You got uh, Jalen Ramsey as well, who's going to be covering Mike Evans, probably, or Antonio Brown, um, one of those two. So it's tough because as, as much as I want to say the Rams aren't going to win this game, but it's like I don't want the Rams to win because I need the Seahawks to I, – I, I need them to lose. But I honestly think that the Rams – want it more they're going to come in like you said with a chip on the shoulder they're going to have the momentum coming off a big road win in seattle against a divisional opponent they're going to take this as like you know this is our chance to you know to keep with seattle now what's interesting as well is as the rams win they will go over seattle in the division because they beat them last week so this is big because if the rams win this they'll take control of the division the seahawks will move to second the cardinals will move to third and so on and so forth 
and it's going to be going it's going to be big going down the line if the rams lose this game and then they lose again to the seahawks later on in the year it was like the second last week they play uh it's going to be interesting but i honestly think i'm taking the rams this one it's going to be close i think the buccaneers and tom brady if they can if the rams can get enough pressure on tom brady and if they can pressure as well, Tom Brady isn't that mobile of a quarterback. Remember, like he's not like a Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. If you contain him in the pocket, he's going to go down. There's like, he's, he's he, like, he's a gazelle. Like he's a, he's like an old gazelle. That's just like an injured. He's like an injured gazelle in the field. And that's, that's kind of the way that I look at him. Like he's very slow, not very mobile. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then Aaron Donald is like a cheetah, like, you know, or like, not really a cheetah, but more like a lion. I think that's, that's kind of the, I've never seen that, that big of a thing. cheetah. If that's what you're comparing it to, <laughs> yeah. he's more of, he's more of a lion. I I, I should say actually uh, more of a lion, but I got <laughs> the Rams have... winning. I get the Rams winning a close one high scoring game. That's my take on that. Buccaneers. If they, if, if the Rams, if the Rams want to win, sorry, they're going to have to stop their offense, no matter what it's going to be stopping the apparently injured gazelle in uh, Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, and they're the also going to have to stop the, the team as the team proclaimed their model citizen, Antonio Brown in this one. That's, oh my God. I, I'm not, we're not even getting, we're not hilarious. even getting into that. That's, 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 that's yeah. We're not oh even going to talk gosh. about it because we, we talked about him so much in the past the comments from Bruce Arian saying his model citizen, just, just, we're going to stay away from that as much as we want to, we would love to get into it, but we're just going to, I've gonna, never heard st- of a colder take. Never in my life. have I No, heard it's, a it's take. no, it's, it's a hot, take. It's, it's a hot take. Cause it's not true. That's, that's the definition, but anyways, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyways, regardless that right. That uh, wraps up our NFL week 11 preview of the Titans and Ravens game and the Rams versus Buccaneers game. Moving on over into our last topic of today, we got the end of, and obviously the NBA draft was Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, two days ago, and we thought it'd be a good idea, obviously, to give our recap of what we thought of the first and second round, the whole draft, but as well, kind of a, the biggest uh, steal of the draft and the biggest kind of mistake or error that a team made. So obviously, Anthony Edwards goes first overall. Not a lot of people were thinking that because a lot of people, myself included, and yourself included, LaMelo Ball was going to be drafted first. You know, he seemed to have that hype. But Anthony Edwards goes first overall. Uh, James Wiseman goes second. Uh, Melo goes third. Then it was, I'm trying to remember who else it was. Then it was like uh, it was someone else. It was like a guy from, the, go to obviously, the Bulls pick. And then uh, Denny Avija went to the the Cavaliers fifth, I believe. I'm trying no, to o- the, o- Obi went fifth. Obi, no. yeah, Obi, sorry, yeah, Obi Toppin went to Obi and Denny actually both fell. I don't think he went. Yeah, they to, fell. They, think, yeah, they they were not. I don't top think five. No, it, was, the... it was someone else. It was another. The first we we it was weird because we kind of we reversed the top three like in regards to our picks and stuff like that. We yeah. thought that uh, it was different, but who in your mind is the biggest? Because I know you talked about it last week on our on our draft preview, the biggest steal, and I think you probably still think that probably be. Killian Hayes would be one of your biggest draft steals or maybe oh. even Cassius, Cassius, uh, Cassius Stanley as well. Yeah. Cassius Stanley is still one of my biggest steals. He went to Indiana very late in the draft. I was surprised he fell as much as he did. I think March, March Madness would have easily made him late first round pick uh, capabilities. He's an exciting player. And I mean, I, I really like the pickup for Indiana. Uh, Victor Oladipo even reached out mid draft and he was like, Hey, welcome to the squad and I think that's going to be a deadly combo because if uh, if Oladipo stays and Cassius Stanley turns out to be uh, the player that I think he can become and I think he thinks he could become that'd be a deadly combo that is going to be athletic they're going to be fast they're going to be really offense they're going to be a very strong offensive team in the future um, as far as Killian Hayes go I think uh, I can't actually who did pick up Killian Hayes because I remember 
I remember seeing him go very early on. I didn't. I can't remember who actually took him. I know he's projected to go to the Hawks. It was the Pistons, number seven overall. Yeah, the The yeah, Detroit Pistons. Detroit Pistons took that. Yes, that was a good pickup. I think the Pistons. Uh, had to take your guard uh, in that in that spot, no matter what. Considering, I mean, you have Blake Griffin right now. You have kind of your main. I mean, the Pistons could use anybody, frankly, at this point. So they 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 made a good choice taking the best player available at the guard position, Killian Hayes. I think he's going to be a really good point guard in the future. I think he's going to be very solid for the Pistons. And I mean, the Pistons will gladly take all the help they can get. I think at this point, and I think I'm excited to see what he can kind of put up. Uh, going into next season as far as like biggest mistake or like big surprises for me I mean I think one of the bigger mistakes was the Timberwolves not getting any value out of that first overall pick Uh, and not to say they didn't get value in Anthony Edwards uh, because I think he was going to go to them no matter what but I think they could have gotten value out of that third pick because I mean the Hornets uh, wanted LaMelo Ball. That was their number one priority, I think. And I mean, they would have settled for Anthony Edwards at the, at the number three if they couldn't get Melo, because like, obviously if the T-Wolves took Melo, then they couldn't get him. But what I think the Timberwolves could have done is gotten a bit more value out of that first overall pick, traded down to the third, got some, uh, got either more draft picks from the Hornets or uh, a couple play, like a couple prospects in return, something like that, and still gotten the same player. Because the Hornets need the best player available, and I think that was LaMelo Ball, and I think they would have taken no matter no matter what. And I think the Warriors were still going to take James Wiseman no matter what at number two. You still could have gotten Anthony Edwards at three, but you could have gotten that extra. You could have gotten a bit extra uh, with the Hornets trying to take 100% Melo because they wanted Melo no matter what, I think. And I think they could have gotten a little bit more out of that first overall pick. And I think the reason they didn't, uh, although they were fielding trades is because it's so taboo to, t- to trade your top five picks. Like it's so tra- taboo to t- uh, trade top picks, especially the number one pick. Um, that's like as something as a GM that you don't feel like necessary. Like you, you feel like you shouldn't be doing, but if the situation presents itself, I mean, you still could have had the same results of one, two, three, and uh, like each player going to each team but the Timberwolves could have got a bit more value out of that. And I think that was a bit of a mistake for them. I mean, hopefully it still works out either way, but another thing that I think was a mistake and personally, I didn't really like the pick of Anthony. Like I didn't really like Anthony. I didn't have much of an opinion of Anthony Edwards going into the draft, but one thing that really was a big red flag for me was an interview he did pre-draft where one of the quotes he was saying, and I have it pulled up here that really, like, it's it set off to me, like, hey, as a GM, I wouldn't want this type of player on my team. He said, uh, uh, quote, to be honest, I can't watch basketball. Uh, I'm not really into it. I love basketball. Yeah, it's what I do. Um, and he was talking about how, like, because he was a big football player uh, going, uh, at university as well. He was saying, uh, if he were to be drafted in the NFL tomorrow, he would let basketball go, quote, because you can do anything on the field. You can spike the ball, you can dance, you can do all the, all type of disrespectful stuff. But in the NBA, you can't really do any of that or you'll get fined or something like that. So to me, like that whole quote is a bit of a red flag because you look at that and say, okay, if he's not that into it, I mean, he loves, like, it's a mixed messaging uh, and it kind of is confusing because if he doesn't like watching basketball, 
then how are you going to learn? How are you going to study the film? How are you going to learn from the great, like you can learn so much by just watching uh, the best players on TV. You can learn and like, and that's what the game film is for. You can learn so much about a different player style. If I'm a, uh, a general manager looking at that and looking at the age that we're in right now, where analytics and like studying film game film is so important and so huge. If he doesn't like watching basketball, then he's not going to be thinking about what, like if he's in the room studying game film, he's going to be thinking the entire time about how, oh, I don't like doing this instead of actually focusing on, okay, hey, how can I adjust my play style to better fit guarding this player or attacking this player? And I think that's really a big red flag for me for Anthony Edwards. And I think it's just going to call into question a little bit about his dedication to the game. And the fact that he said he'd leave immediately if he was drafted into the NFL that's a bit of a red flag for me, and I don't know if that warranted him going number one overall to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I just want to get your thoughts on that before we kind of get into, as well as your thoughts on the steals and mistakes of the draft. Well, we the, yeah, the biggest steal the I agree with you. I think yeah, the biggest steal I think Cassius Cassius Stanley was one of the biggest steals because, like we talked about all before the draft, and like on the on our episode on Tuesday or on Wednesday, I mean, is the fact that, you know, obviously without March Madness, it really hurt him in regards to his draft stock. But as well, one of the, I don't know if the biggest mistake, I can see, I don't see Anthony Edwards, like the reason why I didn't go him number one is because I think I did see those comments and I'm like, I don't see him being worthy of a number one overall pick because a number one overall pick in my mind is not only good at basketball, but has the passion. LaMelo Ball has been balling since he was like four or five. Like LeVar Ball, his <laughs> instinct, like obviously, you know, we've all, all heard about things about LeVar, but it works, okay? Like he, like those kids are dedicated to like playing basketball. LaMelo to the Hornets is going to be great. But as well, and I think as well, if you think about it now, I just pulled something up from uh, the T-Wolves, uh, T-Wolves insider, like remember Evan Porter, like, you know, he was on our show like, yeah. a number of months ago. Uh, he said that, so he, when he made an Instagram post, he said, Minnesota started the night with picks 1, 17, and 33. Now, they ended the night with Anthony Edwards with the number one pick, Ricky Rubio, which they got via trade, uh, Leonardo, Leon, Leandro Balamero, and Jaden McDaniels. So they got four players out of three picks, which isn't too bad. But the thing with Anthony Edwards is I totally agree. If you don't have the ability to sit into, like, let's say, for example, like, like, let's say preseason or, you know, during the regular season, you're watching game film after a loss and, you know, you're looking through and he's distracted because he doesn't want to be there. Like you said, how are you going to get better? How are you going to develop as a player? Now you went to first overall, you've got a lot of expectations on him. And I understand it's a lot of pressure being the first overall pick doing really well, but you know, like you, you, you shouldn't have maybe made those comments or kept them hidden. And I said, you know, you wanted to express himself and you wanted to be open, you know, to all the teams. And he still went first overall, which I was a little bit surprised with even the T wolves picking him considering the fact that, okay, what is, you know, what happens during the game? Like, is he not going to want to like, and as well, like if you listen, if you watch basketball games, like a lot of great players, even like players like LeBron James, or Steph Curry will watch, you know, game highlights. We'll watch game film to, con- game to, to continually get better. No matter how great they already are, they will continually improve to be the greatest that they are. That's what they want to be. So if a young guy like Anthony Edwards coming in saying, oh, I don't really like basketball. I don't really watch basketball. Well, how are you going to get better? Like, you're, you're just a rookie. Like, you, like you're not going to, like, you know, the thing that I can see is, like, going in, like, obviously, you know, like, as a, here's kind of my analogy. Let's say, for example, like, you know, obviously he's a rookie. He's, he's going to have a bad rating in 2K. Like, you know, not bad, but low rating. He, like, yeah. let, let's just say that. Let's say he continually doesn't want to, you know, watch game film or want to really develop. You know what that rating's going to say? It's the rating's going to say the same 
72 overall over the next four years if he doesn't want to improve. That's what I see. Like, that's what it's yeah. going to be. It's like, yeah, it could, be, it could stay the same because if he doesn't want to improve, and that's not only going to relate to just 2K, but his game in basketball, he's not going to be the guy that's going to be like a LaMelo Ball or maybe a James Wiseman that's going to drop 15 or 20 if he doesn't want to put in the work, if he doesn't want to put in the effort that it takes to become a great basketball player. And I think that's as well. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about was the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, they took two guards, yes. Malachi Flynn, and I can't remember the second guy because he was picked later. But uh, let's see if I can just pull it up here. It's a Raptors 2020 draft picks. Another guard. I know that. Yeah, it was another guard. Let's see here. Malachi Flynn and Jalen Harris was the two players. Jalen Harris. Yeah, Jalen Harris. Now, what's interesting is obviously there were two guards. Now, the Raptors already have a lot of guards. Now, there's the potential to lose Fred Van Vliet and, you know, Kyle Lowry's getting a little bit older. So, you know, they might want to draft young. But regardless, I'm pretty sure a power forward, small forward or center would have been the right choice. Would you not agree? Like, because I'm honestly, honestly, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think you I mean, you have a lot of young guards on your team. And I mean, you have. Uh, the real youngest player or like the best prospect you have at the bigger, uh, bigger positions would be OG Ananobi and Chris Boucher. But I think those bigger positions, there's going to be an abundance of uh, forwards and centers coming up in the future. And I think that that's going to be available, but when you have good guards uh, like Malachi Flynn, he's not going to be ready right away especially because he was a late first round pick. There was a reason he's not going number one overall. He's not going to be ready hundred percent coming in. He's going to be a guy like an O'Shea Brissett, for example, who might be G league bound, but also get some time, at least a few minutes, garbage time minutes playing here and there. And what he was described uh, to as me, Malachi Flynn in specific was he is very similar to Fred Van Vliet. And I really like that. I love hearing the fact that he is like Fred Van Vliet because that means not to me, not only does he have the passion, not only does he have the drive to work harder, it means he also is a very good shooter and a very good hustle player. And I think that is going to be something the Raptors really want in a guy. And I think they've kind of, they took this pick as, because the Raptors don't necessarily need to draft on need right now, because no matter who they would have taken is going to be a few years away. Uh, uh, probably two or two, maybe even three, probably two. So I think Malachi coming in, um, I mean, he's probably going to get some minutes here and there at the start of the season. And then later on in the season, depending on how the Raptors are doing and how they did at the trade deadline, stuff like that might get a few more minutes here and there or less minutes, depending. Uh, but I think he's going to get some time and he's going to be a good guard. And I think he's going to be a option for the Raptors if Fred Van Vliet uh, does go. And I think they just took the best player available. And I think they took uh, him as a backup option to Fred Van Vliet if he decides to go, because then the Raptors weren't really suspecting to win the championship. I don't think, unless obviously they do stuff in free agency this, uh, this upcoming season or make some trades. You never know what Masai has up his sleeve, but um, the consensus is uh, with a lot of the teams, a lot of rumors right now, the Raptors aren't going to be like world beaters this season. And I think, you have to take that with a grain of salt because you look at, or I guess with a grain of salt, uh, like you look at older guys like a Kyle Lowry and you look at like uh, possible leaving uh, players like a Fred Van Vliet. If Fred Van Vliet leaves, now you have those two years to develop Malachi Flynn to where you're ready to compete again. Because I think if the Raptors don't get Fred Van Vliet back, they're not going to be looking to compete next year. And I think that is going to be a matter of, okay, if Fred Van Vliet does leave, we still have Malachi Flynn in the wing, uh, wings. But if we keep Fred Van Vliet, then an older Kyle Lowry will be more willing to leave the team and retire under 
uh, more confidence in that position because he knows there will be guys that will be better. I can't, I think it was, I think it was Kyle. I can't remember who said the quote, but it was like, I'll be willing to retire once I know someone is better than me or something like, like once I'm confident that I can't compete anymore or something. I can't remember who said I, that. Yeah. But... I, th- I think it was saying basically he wants to retire when he can no longer, when there's a better player at his position to compete possibly. Yeah. I don't want to mix his words. Yeah. Cause like, I don't want to like, you know, as the media and stuff, you know, like it was something along words, those lines and that, it, yeah, that it was something it. along the lines. Yeah. And um, I can see the points you make. And because obviously, you know, having good guards to develop is always crucial because, you know, as well with the players that they're going to get in free agency, possibly Montrez Harrell, a possibility. Um, Serge Ibaka could be like possible. Serge Ibaka, back, yeah. you know, coming back, leaving, you know. And I think as well, there's a lot of great free agency players that are out there. They're out there as well. Um, and I think that the Raptors have to be careful because like as well, there's, you know, the whole possible push that if they could go for Giannis and if the, how much they're going to sign Freddie for. And I think that if Freddie does end up leaving which could be a possibility he could go to new york or someone else somewhere else that could have a little bit more money because they new york has freed up a lot of space then i think then kyle's got to stay work with malachi flynn work with jalen uh the other guy or his name harris jalen harris um to develop it and in, in two years you know the raptors can be back on that level to compete you know they might have you know some down years and stuff over the next two years as well even if they if we lose fred and we keep, you know, Serge on a decent deal and we bring in Montrez, I'd be happy with that. Because then at least, yeah, we lost Fred, but we're able to bring in Montrez. We're able to bring in, oh, keep Serge, you know, a decent on a decent contract. I don't want to pay Serge an exuberant amount of money. He's not worth that. If Serge is going to ask for an exuberant amount of money, we're not going to take that. Um, and, you know, it's tough as well, considering after James Wiseman and a number of the top players, there weren't too many highly scouted power forwards and small forwards. Like, I think, I think there was, it was yeah. a big, it was a heavy guard draft. So I can see why the Raptors were like, okay, you know, there isn't a lot of other options that, you know, we might need like a center or a power forward. If they were drafting higher, if they made certain, like, let's say, for example, on a crazy scenario, they had traded some players and traded up to get like, you know, a high draft pick to cut to possibly get maybe a guy like a, you know, not like a James Wiseman, Killian but like a, a player, Killian Hayes or Killian something like Hayes. that. Yeah. yeah, Killian Hayes, yeah. Something like that. Then I can see possibly, okay, you know, like that's different and stuff, but they just didn't do that because that's not really their MO, you know, trading up and stuff. And not all the times you don't see that. And I think that was surprising as well because I honestly thought that the Timberwolves were going to trade away that number one pick, even to go with the third overall pick to, to get Anthony Edwards, um, to get then to, to have a little bit more out of it because they didn't really get, you know, they, they took him first overall. Um, so it's just interesting, but yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think that obviously the Raptors do an excellent job with developing players. They are probably one of the best teams in developing players. In two years, Malachi Flynn could be the next Fred Van Vliet and there could be nicknames like, you know, the flying Finn, Flynn, you know, some of the, I don't know. <laughs> Like he could be like something, I don't know something, that. yeah, something, some crazy name, you know, it could I be, don't think it, it could happen, stick. but uh, I do think that not saying I don't totally dislike this, but I think that you could have gone other options, but I can see why they did take uh, guards yeah. in the draft. Cause it was a guard heavy draft and there weren't really a lot of other options for them considering the fact that, you know, maybe you pursue Montrez in free agency or a center or power forward in free agency. Cause if that's what they're going with, that's their MO, then they have to stick to that. Because now the thing is, it's like they have to stick to that if they don't get Montrez, if they lose Serge, if they lose, you know, someone else, it's going to be tough for them. It's going to be really tough. 
One quick thing before we wrap up the episode, though, is one thing I want to just touch on quickly. Uh, I don't, you don't even have to give thoughts on this necessarily. This is just kind of what I think the Raptors should do. Is if the Raptors can get Montrezl Harrell, I don't want them to get Ibaka. Because if they can get Montrezl Harrell, you have him starting center, you have Siakam power forward. If I want a big man coming off the bench, I want that to be Chris Boucher, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Boucher is ready. He has shown that he can be a top uh, a top bench player right now. I think he is an influential player. And, I mean, he's young, he's exciting, and I think he's going to be a good player for the Raptors in the future. And I think you got to give him a bit of a step up in the role next season. So if you can't get Harrell, then you – if you can get Harrell, then you let Ibaka walk and you give Boucher that promotion. But if you can get Ibaka back, then I think you maybe look at, like – you obviously give Boucher still the promotion. I think that's going to happen no matter what this year because Gasol, I don't think is coming back. But then maybe if you if you keep Ibaka because he's more of a power forward center, then maybe you sign a lesser center just as a backup big man because you don't have necessarily like a big seven footer because Ibaka's borderline seven foot. Then you have then you, then Boucher would take on like a bigger role still, but like maybe less than he would if there was no Ibaka kind of thing. Like I I think. Either way, you're giving Boucher a promotion going into next season, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it should be a bigger one. So if you can get Harold, great. Don't go after Ibaka because it's Boucher's turn to kind of step up. You need to develop him. But if you can get Ibaka back, maybe give Boucher a bigger role, but also tie him to a veteran center, uh, not like a Yoki Noah, even though that's the first name that comes to my mind. But like even like a Taj Gibson, I wouldn't be upset at for the right price. For well, example. Tristan Thomas was a pair. Tristan Thompson was also, I saw recently possibly even that, going to Toronto. That could be a so, guy too. So that would be, that would be okay with me because, you know, if you got a, if you bring in a guy like Tristan Thompson, let's say like Serge or not say Gasol leaves, Ibaka leaves, you sign Freddie. And then you bring in Tristan and you bring in Montrez on decent deals, you know, for like two years. It would, be, it would be tough. It would be tough. It'd be tough because the way that I look at it is if you let, if you, if you lose Gasol, you lose Ibaka, you bring in, you bring, I bring in Harold more of a power forward. Yes. He's more of a center, not more of a, like less of a power Which forward. Of Siakam. I know that like, well, I guess that's true. Uh, and you have Boucher. So I'm saying you get, if you're going to get Thompson, then I think yeah. what they do is they get Thompson and Ibaka. They don't yeah. worry about Harold. And then you give Boucher that promotion. I think no matter what the Raptors do this season, they have to give Boucher that promotion if they want to develop because they are going to be a team for the future now. And I think Boucher is going to be part of that going forward. You have to build him up. And I think you have to stop getting veteran players to kind of lessen his, dampen his amount of role because a lot of the 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever they gave to Gasol last season in the playoffs could have been easily going to a Chris Boucher. And I think that could be where the Raptors improve going forward. Definitely agree. Alrighty, that wraps up our NBA draft or 2020 NBA draft recapping, recapping our kind of overall thoughts on who was the biggest steal, biggest mistake, and as well, our thoughts on the Raptors picks for this year's draft. That wraps up this episode of season two of the On The Rise podcast. You should follow our Instagram at Rise Podcast, listen in on midtownradio.ca and visit our website, ontherisepodcast.ca. We will see you on Wednesday.